You're listening to the One Small Bite Podcast with me, your host, David Roscoe. For over a decade, I have built a successful nutrition practice helping thousands of people thrive, nourish their life, and break the cycle of crazy diets. We will take one small bite at a time to transform your health and develop a positive relationship to food. So let's chop the diet mentality, fuel your body, and nourish your soul. Okay, are you ready? Let's do this. Hola, hola. Welcome back, amigos. ¿Cómo están? This is your host, David Orozco, again with a One Small Bite podcast. This is episode, are you guys ready? 99. That's it. One more episode away from the big 100. And I'm so excited because in this podcast, remember, we bring to you anti-diet, fueling your body, and nourishing your soul approaches that help you build a positive relationship to your body, to food, and to your health. This show gets away from that crappy healthism, sizeism, weight loss, and BS that you're constantly going to hear from social media, on the news, celebrities, diet ads, and crap that you're going to hear about BS that weight is the end all of people's health. I'm really excited because in today's episode, I'm going to bring again my special guest, this is a continuation from the last two episodes that you heard with Kalorina Gisad, and this is her friend and colleague, Melissa Carmona, and I love it. Melissa is a therapist. She is um, also Colombian, just like me, Epa que bien. And so I just wanted to say that I've got a great episode today. We're going to talk about cultural values in the Latinx community, and we're going to talk about areas that they coin, phrases that they coin that are just so spot on. For example, we'll talk about collectivism, familismo, personalismo, respeto, machismo, yep, I'm guilty of that, marianismo, and fatalism or fatalismo. So I can't wait to have you listen in because this is so great. We also get to talk about their 12-week self-paced online course from their program called the Latinx Health Collective, which is a food and body image healing for the Latinx community. So excited to bring you and talk to you about that. And just a little heads up, this is definitely the longest show I've ever done, but it really culminates these three-part series of the Latinx community. So bear with me because there's just a lot of great information and it's just, I, I couldn't get it short. So I hope you enjoy. Last thing I wanted to say, if you haven't already, remember, hit subscribe to the show so you can get it downloaded automatically to, to your device. And remember, rate, review, and share this episode with friends, colleagues, family members, or maybe if you know a Latino person. Oh, by the way, did I forget to mention our 100th episode next week? Stay tuned. Okay, folks, ready? Let's get the show on the road. Here is Melissa. Hola, Melissa, ¿cómo estás? 
Muy bien. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy that you are agreeing to be on the show. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, I want to get started with people getting to know you a little bit. I'd love for you to tell them a little bit about your story. How did you get to where you are in your career? I know that we, <laughs> we got, you got to condense your entire life in five minutes, but give them what you can, give them what you are and what you do. And I'll, I'll throw in a little bit of you know our culture together because I love that we're both Colombian. Yes, yes. I love that. I got so excited <laughs> when you reached out to me. Um, and you had told me that you were a fellow Colombian. There's just something about it when you talk to other um, right? folks. It feels so good. Next folks in general, but there's something about when you bring it down to Colombian people that it just, it feels like home. It feels like a little bit like home. So myself, my name is Melissa Carmona. Um, I was actually born in New Jersey, uh, where my whole, like so many of my family members immigrated from. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. What, you, what, part, what part of New Jersey? Inglewood. Inglewood. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. I, uh, I, I grew up in West New York, New Jersey. Really? Yeah. Well, I don't remember much because we actually, so my parents immigrated here. I was born here. And then my dad was unfortunately deported um, yeah. to Columbia when I was about three years okay. old. Oh, I don't okay. have many memories outside of when I came back to visit, like maybe during Christmas time to my, my tias and my tios. Oh, um, okay. I don't know much about the area other than I, I used to remember like love going back to New Jersey when in that whole like street where we lived in Inglewood yeah. was yeah. like of all Colombians. <laughs> <laughs> and we had like the the bakery shops and we had the grocery like the small grocery stores, Las Tienditas, and it was just it was amazing to be able to have like see like a small community right, right. there. Right. Oh, that's so cool. So let's see, you went back to then Colombia uh, at age three. How long were you in Colombia then? So I lived in Colombia with my parents until the age of 14, 15. Oh, wow. Okay. I graduated high school there. I always use like when people, you know, like those icebreakers when they're like two truths and a lie or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I graduated high school twice. <laughs> Uh, and people were so confused by that one <laughs> was because I graduated high school in Columbia, where yeah. we only have 11 years right in here and um, did the 12th year and graduated high school here. Uh, okay. Okay. So where did you come back to when you moved back here? I moved back to North Carolina. Uh, so my uh, parents stayed in, in Columbia um, and we all made the decision that it would be best for me to come back to the state so that I could go to college because my parents couldn't really afford it back there. Okay. Um, work, as you know, isn't, um, it's really hard to find jobs, especially around that time. And, right. um, and the biggest thing was being able to afford it. And so we knew that as a U.S. citizen that I would be eligible for um, financial aid here. So we made that like really, really hard decision really at the time mm. to I'm here to where my aunts were. And so we, I arrived to North Carolina, Hickory specifically, actually, a really, really small town in North Carolina. Yeah. Where, where, where is that in North Carolina? That is about, it's really close to Boone. Boone t seems to be a, a better known area. It's about like 40 minutes away from Boone. I'm in Greensboro now, which is about an hour and a half away from, from Hickory. 
Yeah. And just so people can get a little bit of an idea, Boone is uh, popular because it's out in the northeast yes. mm-hmm. of the state. And there's a lot of mountains and mountain biking and hiking and kayak. And there's a lot of stuff that's going on around Boone. And mm-hmm. it's also a booming area. <laughs> yes, yes, it, yeah. it is. Mm-hmm. Right. So where did you go to college then? I went to the Univers- University of North Carolina in Greensboro. Ah, okay. So UNZ Greensboro. Okay. And, uh, and, uh, so tell us a little bit about then you got, uh, you got into school. Did you go right into, uh, psychology or what did you do there? So for me, and I think this is actually part of like, to answer your question, <laughs> um, it's part of my story. So I ended up, we couldn't afford like four year university. So I ended up going to a community college and then my first two years, um, to be honest, I knew I wanted to do something related to mental health, like many people, because there was so much mental illness in my family around the time. So I think a part of me back then really wanted to be able to help other people um, that went through what I did uh, and what my family did. And so I, I knew I wanted to do something related to mental health. And so that's where I started with psychology. And so I did my first two years at a community college, best decision that I could have made. Unfortunately, back then, I used to think that it was such a bad thing. I used to see myself as less than because I couldn't afford to go to a four-year university. Um, Lots of identity stuff rooted in that, too. Mm. uh, Mm. What do you mean by that? Because when I first came here to the U.S., I used to compare myself so much to other people. I mean, think about 15, 14, 15, 16 years old. You want to fit in so badly mm-hmm. as an immigrant. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to fit in even more. Mm-hmm. And um, there were layers to that comparing myself. So it was the comparing myself as a Latina to other people, mm-hmm. to other white Americans. And it was the money stuff. I couldn't really afford things the same way that other people did. It was the, I was a first generation college student. So a lot of it, I had to figure it out on my own. I had to do a lot of like research because my parents had never gone to college. My aunts and my uncles didn't know how to help me through that process either. So I really had to rely a lot on, um, being intentional on who were the people that I reached out to for help and trying to really figure it out on my own. Um, Back then, I was really struggling with my English. And that was really hard for me, too. Um, I struggled with anxiety and depression back then as well. Of course, away from my parents and missed them so badly. I missed my community back in Columbia. There was so much adjusting that I had to go through at that time. So you know this as as I would say Latinx people in general but Colombians were so touchy and we hug and we kiss to say hi and we kiss Mm -hmm. to say goodbye and and that was something that I immediately noticed like was very different here um I want to talk more about personalismo as uh, one of our cultural values and I didn't have that here people were so closed off and and that was really hard for me it was very very isolating for many reasons Mm -hmm. and so that's what I mean by lots of identity stuff. And of course, in the midst of all of that, then I developed my own disordered eating at the time because 
and of course, I'm, now I, I'm able to look back on this and understand better. But at the time, the logic that was going on in my brain was, if only if I'm thinner, if I look like the majority, right? So, and, and just to give people a little bit of perspective, Hickory is a pretty white town here in North Carolina. And so um, in many ways, even though I'm a light-skinned Latina, uh, I stood out in many ways, of course, language-wise, but physically speaking, um, you could distinguish me from other people. And so it was hard. It was hard finding my place. And my brain thought that if only I could make my body fit in some way, somehow, then that would be the solution. That would offer me a solution for those things. And so that meant that I would restrict in some ways, hoping that I could shrink my body in the ways that I could. That meant that I would change my hair color and um, use makeup in ways that would make me seem whiter. That meant that I was terrified of the sun because, oh my gosh, my skin turns brown and I don't want that, right? And so now we start to kind of pull out the layers of like internalized racism and all of that stuff that I didn't know at the time, but that were very much going on and mm. so it was it was a rough time it was a hard time back then. how how long how did you deal with the whole restricting an eating disorder i would say i don't really know a couple of years okay probably the first two years at uh, what point did you realize you needed to get help or did you get help or how did you get through it it's, it's tough to look back on it because i mean it, so many of these behaviors are incredibly normalized. Mm. And I, I, I would say definitely in the United States, absolutely within our own culture as well, mm. in which I started to lose weight and I was congratulated for it. Mm. So back then it was hard to kind of really see that I needed help because um, that very much led me. I mean, looking back, I very much had a diagnosable eating disorder, but in the midst of my family in the midst of doctors even congratulated me, congratulating me for restricting, for losing weight. Um, I don't think I knew. I mean, looking back, I would say it took me about good four years before I was able to reach out for help for many, many reasons as well. And this was after you had already graduated from college then? So I would say this was so about four years. I would say this was like in the middle there towards the end of of my four my first four years of college. Oh wow! Okay, so yeah, trying to figure the... it all out. It was a lot of things going on back then. Who who did you uh, end up living with in 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 the states when you finally moved back? With my aunts and my uncles. Okay, all right. So did you have siblings? I do. I do have siblings. Okay. So, but we were all kind of spread out. So my, my youngest sister was still in Colombia. I still have, I have an older sister that was in Colombia as well. And okay. my brother was here, but he was in Marines at the time. Oh, okay. All right. So there's four of you, mm-hmm. three girls and one boy. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and where does the, the male fit in, in the family dynamics? The yes. older, middle, youngest? Oh, so he, uh, second oldest. Okay. So my older sister's the oldest. Okay. The reason I ask is because I too have three sisters and I'm the only male in, in, <laughs> in my four, in the four of us, yes. but my, my, my mother was married twice. So she has 
I have uh, uh, half brothers and sisters. Yes. Yeah, so my oldest sister is actually half. Ah, okay. Okay. So I have five other half brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. but I grew up with my four sisters. So there's three of them and me, but I'm the youngest. So that's why I was just curious where your brother fell, fell in all of this. <laughs> oh, my brother, my brother. That could be a whole other conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, because we, we could. Sisters, that was a, that, that we joke about it. <laughs> yeah. so it sounded like there was a lot of acculturation that was going on with you at that point and and it it, you touched on a lot of that you touched on how thinness is viewed uh in the united states but it it is also in the latino community as well i know in colombia it's definitely like that what's the what would you say are the differences in the way uh, and I'm just going to be very binary here, so my apologies, but uh, the way a uh, heterosis female should be in our culture. Oof. So I, that's the thing, the bicultural. Yeah. So when I lived in Colombia, I grew up watching uh, Miss Columbia, Miss yeah. Universe, and it's like an every year type of thing, like ritualistic almost. Right? Yeah, it's like soccer. Yeah, yeah. yeah soccer <laughs> and beauty pageants mm-hmm. are like big in Colombia for mm-hmm. those that um, don't live there. And and um, every single year, you knew that you were going to be watching it on TV. So I very much grew up with this idea that my body was supposed to be tall, that it was supposed to be very very lean, but also very very curvaceous in nature mm-hmm. and. And I have these very clear memories of watching these shows with my mom uh, and people like criticizing hardcore women's body and um, and very it, it would specifically talk about measurements and talk about weight and they would compare them side by side and then they would shame the ones that had uh, plastic surgery. But then the so much criticism, so much shame around woman's body. And um, it was, it was really bad. It's really, really bad looking back on it. And I can definitely see the ways in which I compared myself to those bodies that I saw on TV, to Miss Columbia, to Miss Universe, um, because of exactly that. And so women are, are very much, yeah, when I think about body image stuff, that's, Mm. I remember I have these memories of measuring myself like after watching these interviews or after watching these shows and um, feeling so bad because I didn't have the same measurements as those other women. And um, yeah, just there's so much in that itself. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. TV shows (laughs) are another thing, right? Mm, beauty pageants but it's also um the ways in which uh, we watch a lot of telenovelas back home mm-hmm. and it's always the same type of woman mm-hmm. and it's always the same types of roles that these women have i remember that very much standing out for me which was it's all it was always that like the more eurocentric looking woman again the very the thin curvilicious uh type of woman that had like the main role um, the successful person on the show. And then 
it it would end up being like the cleaning lady was always like the shorter, chubbier, darker skinned woman. Or we always tend to have like the witches in our <laughs> telenovelas sometimes. Mm-hmm. And they always end up being also like the older, uh, darker skinned, uh, larger women as mm-hmm. well. And so mm-hmm. it, I didn't realize that back then. But if you think about it, if these are the things that we watch day after day after day, there's certain schemas that are developed in our brains in the sense of, okay, this person that looks like this, it must mean, th- it must mean something bad. Or if they look like this, then it means something good. It means success. Mm-hmm. It means mm-hmm. happiness, right? Mm-hmm. So I have very, again, even thinking about TV, we had very specific shows in Colombia, at least. We, well, and I guess it kind of grew from there. I have this specific memory about Betty La Fea. Betty La Fea, yeah. Ugly <laughs> Betty here. Ugly Betty. Mm-hmm. And there's like different versions around the world in which the specific storyline is, here's this woman that's quote-unquote considered ugly, right? Or... Mm-hmm nerdy looking as in mm-hmm. she had glasses she had braces she had all the things right right but nerdy ugly based on uh heterosexual yeah. cis normative american eurocentric type of approaches exactly and the mm-hmm. whole storyline was about this woman at some point becoming the beautiful woman right so it, it you grow up watching that you grow up watching these tv shows in which the whole premise of it so oh i guess let me move forward to us right yeah. come from that to here in the us growing up watching el gordo y la flaca mm. in which the whole premise of it is to like to, it was the, the laughing joke of el gordo which it means the fat um uh, person and la flaca the the thin woman and there were Every single show, I remember there being jokes about the fat man. Um, and even when he he went through surgery, like weight loss surgery, I remember even then people had so much to say about his body and criticizing him. And when he gained weight, it was also that he was gaining weight. It was like these things that were these shows, these, these um, so many messages that we were exposed to from such a young age, and we don't even realize it. We don't even realize that our brain is absorbing that information or that our kids are absorbing that information as well. Yeah, I, I also hear from you this sort of this uh, this duality to coming then to the United States. You have that perception of what you think you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, you're trying to fit into a culture mm-hmm. that you're not very aware of or understand very well. I mean, yeah. you, you were born here, but you were raised in Colombia. And so it's a totally different story. And then you're trying to fit into, tell me the, the, the things that you were trying to fit into. I know you mentioned them a little while ago. I think you hinted to that, that light skin, but go a little bit further. If you can remember what kind of things, what normatives, normatives, is that the right word? What norms were you trying to fit into then? I wanted to belong. I wanted to be good enough. I wanted to be um, smart enough. Right? So, mm. So it was the good enough, it was smart enough in the sense of I struggled so much with my English back then that I thought that that meant that I wasn't smart enough. Um, And therefore that had an impact on my grades. And so then that was in a whole other layer. It meant that I didn't belong. Oh, if we think about that, like such a strong core belief and something that as humans, we 
we need and want so badly as well, that feeling of belonging. And I didn't feel like I belonged. Yeah, that that sense of belonging is something that I struggled with for so many years in my life as well. And I've talked about having orthorexia and having to feel that the same type of pressure. I think one of the the biggest part there is that lack of intelligence. I'm not smart enough or mm-hmm. I'm not strong enough as a man, you know. And I think that you we 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 have these ideas enough. It's that word enough. And it's like it drives you nuts. I mean, it just it drives you to do these things so much. Um, so hearing you say that, oh my like, oh yeah, I totally get that all the time. And it, it just echoes in your head constantly, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, so um, uh, you then, what, graduated with a degree in what? And then what happened after that? <laughs> well, I graduated from undergrad uh, with a degree in psychology. Okay. And in, in my, I always laughed, like looking back, I but back then it was pretty hard. <laughs> um, oh, my last semester, my last semester of undergrad year, I always thought I was going to do like clinical psychology. That's it. Right? Okay. Uh, my last year I did research and I realized I did not want to do research. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember calling my mom like crying because this was literally like coming to an end. And I was just like, I don't want to do psychology anymore because this is not what I want to do. And then I learned about counseling <laughs> like <laughs> you didn't I know it beforehand. I didn't know about counseling. <laughs> okay. Uh, and thankfully, my advisor at the time, another Latina, uh, introduced me to counseling because I was explaining to her that I preferred more of the one-on-one interaction with people and being able to, um, yeah, that one-on-one in yeah. in the therapeutic sense. And and she told me, well, it sounds like counseling may be the thing for you. So I ended up applying for. Uh, master's in counseling at at UNC Greensboro again. Uh, okay, so you went back there for your master's in was it licensed therapist or is yeah? So they changed it. It used to be LPC, and now it's licensed clinical mental health counselor. They made oh, yeah. okay. So I'm a counselor though, I I help become a therapist, and in Spanish, we don't really have consejeros. No. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of confusing to explain to people. So I sometimes say like uh, mental health ter- therapist. I'm so used to just saying that or sometimes it's, it's psychologo or mostly known as psychologos, I would say. In well, I mean, isn't it interesting because in, in, in Colombia, like in a lot of Latin American countries, when you graduate from college, a lot of people will call you doctor. Yes. And that's another part that's very confusing because uh, it's it's sort of a um a doctorate type of kind of mentality. It's like there's really nothing beyond that. I mean, of course you can get your doctorate in Colombia mm-hmm. just like you can in a lot of Latin Latin American countries, but you know, if you're going to a college or a university and you get a degree in mm-hmm. Latin American countries, a lot of people, a lot of Latino clients that I get will say, well, call me doctor. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm totally fine with that because I understand that uh, cultural difference, you know? So yeah, that, that's why it's also very difficult to even tell people I'm a dietitian. I mean, it's like, Mm-hmm. Soy un nutritionista, soy un nutrólogo, soy yeah. un dietista. So what am I? It's like, oh my gosh. Yes, I. Uh, when I graduated from my master's in counseling, it, I had a really hard time trying to figure out how to explain to people. And then I, I realized, you know, I know, I know what is it that they need. 
Yeah. Uh, you're right. So anybody that really, if we think about it, anybody in the medical field, mm-hmm. uh, which would inc- include dietitians and therapists, mm-hmm. um, they see us as doctors. And I had such a hard time back then. I, I, I thought that I, I was supposed to correct them in some way. And then I realized, you know, they, they know yeah. um, what's going on here. Yeah. And at the same time, it was such an important thing for me to be able to sit with because it, within our culture and the Latinx culture, doctors are seen as like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like in a position uh, of power. Yeah. Right. Um, someone that is respeto is such an important Mm -hmm. cultural value within our Mm -hmm. culture Mm -hmm. and so some doctors are seen as someone that you must have respect for Mm -hmm. and therefore that means that within our field we have to be very aware in what way is our client um seeing us as a person of authority Mm -hmm. uh, in the room and how can and how do they feel that they can show up to their appointments and how can they ask questions about their appointments as well so it's something that i always always try to remain aware of how do my clients use the word doctor as well so um that gets me to think a lot more about this presentation that you did in uh, the symposium or this Mm -hmm. summit that i saw you in you and carolina who I have had on our show or on my show, um, I would love for you to talk a little bit more about these cultural values in the Latinx communities. Um, I, I, I I think that they, some of the things that you said, I so resonated with and Catalina did talk a little bit, but I'd love for you to, to, to elaborate a little bit more on that, especially when it comes to our relationship with food and, and by our, I'm talking about, the Latinx community, our relationship with food and how these play into our world. So let's start with the first one, which is collectivism. Can you talk a little bit about that, what it is and how that plays into our relationship with food? So collectivism, it it speaks very much to how we are group oriented. And by group, I mean, kind of like what I was saying earlier, neighborhoods our friends definitely our families but not just our nuclear families it definitely extends to our aunts and uncles and our cousins and that second cousin and then your mom's <laughs> like it very much extends yeah. uh, and those are our people that's our community and so we're very much community oriented right um, collectivism, when it comes to the food aspect of things, I want you to think about the ways in which we grew up eating on the, at the table with our family members. Maybe we had some structure around that. We think about the holidays and which, the ways in which we get together. There's so much food around this and we get to enjoy that all together. Um, it makes me think about, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Abundance abundance and people abundance and the food that we bring in as people too when i think about collectivism i'm frequently thinking about the ways in which we take care of one another as a community as well um and that also means that healing happens in community and Mm. unfortunately that also means that trauma can sometimes often happen trauma or harm can often happen within our community as well and so I think a lot about um, generational trauma and and mental health or mental illness there's such a big stigma 
that we can t- I think we're working on it pretty hard right now, but there's still so much to work on. And therefore, I, I think back on my own experience and how hard it was for me to reach out for help because I carried that own shame and guilt that many of my other loved ones did. At some point. So, shame, shame or guilt about what? About reaching out for help and talking um, about things um, that caused me harm as well. Where do you think that shame or guilt come from? Comes from if 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 there's collectivism, mm-hmm. isn't it? Aren't it's we a, so intertwined with each other? That aren't we already asking for help somehow? Exactly. Where is the shame or guilt coming from? Then do you think it's such a great gray gray area? It's the when it came to mental illness, when you were reaching out for help, I saw so many of my family members feeling shame themselves and going to the doctor and going to see a fit now not the doctor specifically there's less shame about that it's about seeing a therapist it's about seeing a psychiatrist about taking that medication for your mental health that brought a lot of shame and guilt and so therefore talk about schemas right or these messages that we that our brain absorbs i used to also believe oh if i do that that must mean i'm crazy good old term crazy within our communities that you go to the therapist, that must mean you're loca in some way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and that's not true. I mean, mental illness, it's an illness like any other, and it's part of our physical health as well. And so uh, the shame came from that, like hearing other people struggling with stigma, with the stigma and, and, and believing that that's what it was. Thankfully, um, again, speaking from a personal experience, healing also happens in a collect in the collective as well so things have been changing in the last two generations thankfully and i saw my mom go to therapy and work so hard doing that and i saw my aunts taking medication and i think that's also what helped me so i i that was the point that i was trying to draw in the symposium it was like we have these amazing cultural values that i find incredibly important and at the same time, it's important to also notice, like, what does that look like um, when we're struggling as well? So I want to talk about all the others because there's several in here that are really important. But I wanted to just ask this question because I, the shame and guilt part is so strong. It isn't just specific to Latinx communities. Mm-hmm. It is, of course, worldwide almost. You know, seeking mental help is is very guilt and shame ridden, unfortunately, in our societies. Um, but you said that the healing happens in that collectivism. How do we move? How does the Latinx person move from that shame guilt in that collectivism to he- to find that, to seek that help? Oh, I think it depends on the person. Everybody's story is so different. For me, I think to answer that question, I need to take a step back. So if we think about um, specifically about eating disorders, for example, there's such an isolating feature to struggling with that type of mental illness, right? If we think about it, food is has such a social component. Food is also culture. So when I'm talking about my own story about identity um, and wanting to almost that acculturation piece, I wanted to assimilate to the to the American and specifically white culture here in the United States, that that meant that I pushed my food. I pushed my, my cultural foods away. I pushed Mm -hmm. uh, away from my music that I listened to growing up, like my parents listening growing up. 
I pushed away from the family events because I didn't want to be associated with my culture in absolutely any way. That's pretty isolating, right? So for me, my own healing journey within my, like within my own cultural context and um, just family altogether meant like getting closer to my family once again, eating these foods once again, showing up to the events with my family. But I'm mindful and mindful that that's not everybody's story. I am mindful that there are people out there that live in very abusive um, households as well. So I want to be I want to be thoughtful about that. But if we think about it, connect connection. Connection is so important to healing. And and I want to make sure that whoever's listening to this knows that connection can be whatever is important to you specifically. Yeah. Yeah. So if shame brings isolation and mm-hmm. rejection, what we're looking for is the opposite of that pretty much was this flexibility and connection. And, and I don't know what that means on an individual level for everybody, but I, I can only imagine people are kind of thinking about that right now. Kind of what I'm hearing you say is because there's a collectivism going on mm-hmm. that it really just take takes one person in that group to model the behavior. If that person is open and honest because they're within that close collective, then other people will go, oh, wow, you know, the shame is is almost eliminated. It's like the 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 trials and tribulations that our parents and people that have come before us, mm-hmm. the actors and actresses and um uh, philosophers and therapists and doctors in our cultures that came before us broke the ceiling. It's the same thing in our in our collective groups, right? Mm-hmm. That shame guilt starts deteriorating because the group is showing, oh no, 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 mental illness illness is not something to be embarrassed about. We all have the need for help in one way or another. And that's so, so important. I think that's what I'm hearing. And by the way, the other part there about uh, structure and rigidity versus flexibility and uh, uh, what did you call it? Flexibility and connection. Mm-hmm. I love that because I, when I have clients that I work with, one of the things that I talk about with food, for example, is how if you're on rigid diets, what often happens is that it, I use this analogy. So think of a, a really s- stiff, hard uh, mm-hmm. iron bar, right? And it can hold 150 pounds, but you take that bar and you move it out so far, what can happen is that after a little while, that bar, because of its rigidity, will break. Now, if you take a bar that is flexible and can also hold 150 uh, pounds, but now it has flexibility, there's a greater likelihood that that bar won't break when the wind blows or when, you know, things bounce or something happens. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the important Mm -hmm. part there when things come at us and hit us hard, which life often has those Mm -hmm. circumstances because of that flexibility will move, will flow through those waves because of that flexibility versus when we're rigid, which is where it becomes a problem. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and there's so many different ways that we can kind of apply that rigidity versus flexibility, whether it, whether it be about our food, whether it be about relationships, whether it be about the ways in which we see ourselves as well. Um, 
love that metaphor. Yeah, that is a, yeah, fantastic. I love that you're saying that how how we see ourselves because that's another big one. All right, I, I better get going here because I got a lot. Yeah. We got a few more. Yeah, <laughs> uh, feminismo, which is very similar to collectivism, isn't it? Yeah. So that's the thing. You'll kind of notice that they're all connected with yeah. one another, and sometimes the the meaning behind them really kind of overlap. Yeah. So with familismo, it really promotes that loyalty, cohesiveness, and obedience within the family, right? And there, it also, we think about family loyalty. Um, and so, and it kind of dictates the norms, expectations, and beliefs about the family as well. So some of the examples with familisms can include um, trusting what your family has to say and the decisions that are made may be made with your family as well. Um, so I'm going to give an example about myself. So the reason why I ended up choosing UNCG, uh, UNC Greensboro was because I was closer to my family. I didn't want to be away from my family. I was already far enough from my parents. I didn't want to be even further away from everybody else. And so family's moment that I made a decision based on, okay, how's this going to impact the family? How is this, this going to draw me even further away? And, and what was the easiest way that I could drive back and forth to see them? Family's moment also that important decision of my parents knew, even though it's really, really hard for them to make the decision to send me here to the US, that it would be best for me to get an education here versus staying in Colombia at the time. Um, that comes from feminismo. It's like, like again, the co- cohesiveness and the, the wanting what's best for one another, which I guess is also connected to collectivism in so many oh, yeah. ways. Yeah. Now, um, it, it can also mean... <laughs> A whole other set of things such as for example even if you want to do something for yourself you may not do it and not end up doing it for the sake of the family so many people end up not going to school because of exactly that of um, not leaving the family or maybe it's more important for the family for that uh, child to stay close to home or maybe it's more important for for the child to stay working for the family that kind of stuff and it can look different when it comes to mental health care. It also means um, if your family is not very supportive of it, you may end up making a decision to not continue your own care because of that as well. And so familismo, again, it has two sides to it, depending on we think about that rigidity versus that flexibility as well. Again, so um, I'm trying to think, as a provider, it's always really important for us to remain educated as to what that looks like, right? So as, as you, for your client, is it important that their family comes in to talk about what's been going on? And I'm thinking about therapy. I'm thinking as a dietitian. I'm thinking as doctors. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's important to understand why the family may be coming in. Um, again, so you'll see families coming in together and making healthcare decisions together. And um, it also means that when you're battling with something, it may not be just as easy to say, oh, let me just draw boundaries with my family. Let me just kind of speak up against this thing that's going on at home. It makes it a little bit harder um, to do. So let's go to the next one, which is personalismo, which is... What? What does that mean? And I am sorry that I mutilated that. <laughs> no, you're fine. So personalismo, it, it speaks to more intimate interactions with providers or just in general with one another. And that can mean 
wanting to tell you my life story, (laughs) Uh, which by the way, storytelling is such an important part of our culture within the Latinx culture. And so that plays into the personalismo. It means like the, the touchiness, like the hugging and the kissing, that's all part of um, personalismo. And so I, I love, I, I am so sad for all those years in which I kind of distanced myself from this. And, and, I, and now that I'm older, I'm able to kind of really embrace that. And it's one of my favorite parts about the culture. And so in thinking about like, again, our appointments that may look like your client wanting to tell you their whole life story, it looks like um, them wanting to know more about you specifically, like beyond being a doctor, if you're a doctor and all that good stuff. So um, I always encourage providers, like it's important for you to know how does this show up in the room and how do you feel like, oh, is is this person crossing boundaries? Boundaries is a big word for me because I, the way that I learned the word boundaries was in such a rigid way in which we don't necessarily experience within our culture. Boundaries are a little bit more flexible. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I always struggle. And maybe you can help me out with this. I always struggle explaining the word boundaries within our culture versus in the U.S. Because when I, the way that I learned it here in the U.S., it's a lot more rigid which got like, if we think about personalismo can very much get on the way when you're trying to build rapport with people from our community. Yeah. Especially when you want to hug and kiss someone, you know, mm-hmm. and you're trying to fit into a, an American white, thin Christian type uh, community. Mm-hmm. They don't kiss and hug. <laughs> yes. yes. And I was very much taught, like in thinking about boundaries, I was very much taught you can't, receive gifts from your client, right? It's very, it's considered unethical. And so, and I'm not saying that it's not, (laughs) I think that there's, again, that flexibility piece. But if, if one of my Latinx clients came into my office and they offered me food or they offered me a gift as a way to say, thank you, that's a form of personalismo. They're trying Mm -hmm. to, yeah, they're trying to say thank you in in the ways that we've known how to. And if I didn't know that myself and I would have said, no, I'm sorry, I can't take that um, as a way to draw boundaries, which again is completely understandable. We have to remain aware of like, how does that, what happens to the relationship that moment when you're like, I have to draw this very rigid boundary. It's, it's complicated is the word that I'm thinking about. So how do you think then personalismo and familismo then play into the way we choose the way we eat or the way we make choices around uh, how our bodies are supposed to be or how we look, what would you say that it, how it shapes that? Okay. Let's say you're working on your relationship with food, which means you're working on your hunger cues. You're working on your fullness cues. Familismo may look like your parents have Hmm. Let me think about this. Let me let me throw let me. I yeah. put you on the spot here. I put you on yeah. the spot. That's not fair because I know you you've never really probably contemplated it this way. But here's the way yeah. I see it. Right mm-hmm. with family familismo because there's this l- level of obedience and loyalty. Mm-hmm. It, if you're trying to eat a certain way, mm-hmm. then to be healthier or 
what society says, fruit and vegetables. Let's just use that example, right? And your family, like in our family growing up, uh, empanadas, arepas, sancocho, we don't have a plate that's divided with fruit and vegetables. That's not the way you eat a plate of food in Latin America and many countries in Latin America. So I, th I think that that fitting into something like that, that cultural norm in the United States, which is a form of acculturation, puts a, a bit of a, a conundrum. You know, it puts a bit of a struggle with the person because this society says I'm supposed to eat like this. And that society says, I'm, who am I going to belong to? It's like mm -hmm. you said, it's like this, this, this sense of belonging. And that's mm -hmm. where it becomes a problem. And, and I speak from personal experience here with personalismo. One of the things that's happening here is that you're building this trust around and rapport around people, right? And if, if you know, one of the things that you do to say thank you, like in, in mm -hmm. again, Colombia, one of the things that we tend to do is we'll actually buy these bocaditos of, of uh, Arequipe or of, uh, uh, I can't think of another one, but, you know, Arequipe <laughs> comes to mind easily. Things, all the yummy things. Or, or panela, right? Uh, which yeah. Arequipe is like a caramel and panela is just a bricked, form of uh pure sugar cane mm -hmm. and so sometimes what happens is is that you know you'll get a family member to bring that and if you're trying to avoid sugar then you know you're gonna say oh no 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 puedo no i can't i can't eat that mm -hmm. that's like oh my gosh what are you doing that, that you, you shouldn't do that to me Absolutely. and yeah. that's the part and see this is the part where i was struggling because i was also thinking about respeto right so which is, yeah which is the next one yeah right such an important um cultural value mm -hmm. for us. and so that's the thing where i get kind of all of them kind of become one right but let's say you're working on your hunger and fullness cues like i was saying earlier um all of a sudden if you said no to that family member that took this thing with such love for you because they're worried about you um and all of a sudden you're like no thank you that can come across as disrespectful right mm -hmm. and then the drama begins of like how could you <laughs> well i mean to be honest sometimes it looks it takes the for that form where it's like desagradecido you're being ungrateful for not taking the food and you're being rude some way somehow it just makes me think about personalismo because here's this gift that i'm giving you here's this way that i'm opening up and being vulnerable how could you say no yeah right? yeah uh, Oh, and then I, you're left feeling shame, like <laughs> shameful. You feel guilty, and you. What do you do? You're you stop listening to your body's cues and decide. You know what? Let me just eat this thing. Um, and it same goes with hunger, right? So if you're trying to work on your hunger cues and honoring your body's hunger by feeding it a very very basic need by the way mm -hmm. uh, all of a sudden you'll have family members saying like are you sure you want to have that is it's that is that something that you want to do and then we comment about like our cousin's body and do you want to look like your like all of these things and how do you speak up against that because if you say something like hey don't say that that's rude or hey that's kind of that phobic mm -hmm. uh, all of a sudden it's the same thing <laughs> how yeah. could you disrespectful how could you speak to your elders that way i'm just trying to look out for you type of thing right so it's a con it's like all of them it's the family all of a sudden you like uh disappointed the family loyalty piece and you're being disrespectful and you're not thinking about thinking about the collective because what's going to happen to your child 
So it's like, I'm, I'm being kind of dramatic right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, you're making a good point. <laughs> time, it, it's all of these moving pieces that happen in moments like that. And so um, it, it's, a t- it's tough. It's tough because you have different dynamics going on. You're trying to honor your own needs as well as like, how do I... Um, honor my families. <laughs> this is this is definitely where I see the problem with uh, intuitive eating and mm-hmm. health at every size. Yes, I love where the main focus is on creating boundaries, but now we can see where these boundaries is a bit of a struggle when we're so interdependent, we have this collectivism, we have this family component, we have this being personable and, and, and building that trust and rapport, and we have that respect for others. This is where if I say the, you know, uh, let down the gauntlet and tell you, no, 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 I'm on a diet, or I can't eat this, this is not good for me, or this is not healthy, you're disrespecting. It's like what you said a little while ago. And this is where it gets a little bit uh, uh, muddy and complicated, where the cultural collective, the cultural values are pushing up against mm-hmm. the body's need or your individual hungerfulness and satisfaction and mm-hmm. idea of what your your body is telling you. And, and that that's where it becomes a little bit challenging. Let's get to the next ones because they're equally as challenging too, right? The next one is uh, machismo. Now, I I totally relate with this one a lot, but women are equally a a part of this as well. Talk to us a little bit about that one. About machismo? Yeah. Okay. Um, See, my brain gets ahead of time because now I'm thinking about marianismo. So (laughs) machismo is these set of like beliefs and expectations that like regarding men and our society and within our culture itself in which it says <laughs> it, it, it encompasses everything really if we think about it masculinity including bravery honor dominance aggression sexism sexuality and also reserved emotions you can't talk about your feelings you can't feel sad because that you're not macho enough and really when i think about machismo i'm also thinking about the body image stuff um, within men so that you're supposed to look very macho, whatever that means. And I don't even know why I'm doing that, that voice, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it makes me think about that, right? We grew up at least within our culture thinking that we're supposed to look very macho, which means muscular, um, eating a specific way. Um, it means behaving a specific way around women. And so it's uh, machismo. Machismo can take over in so many different parts of our culture, which is unfortunate. And so in the office, like in our in our office at work, this can look like struggling to accept that they need help, whether it mean in working with the relationship with food or in working with their overall mental health as well. So it may mean like if they're going into an appointment, they may not like the fact that there's a woman in the room. Um, and so, or they may not, respect you as a woman either and and I want to this made me think about something that I want to make sure I apply to all of the other cultural values and it's the fact that everybody can be in a different part in the spectrum Mm -hmm. of these things Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that when people hear this podcast that they don't think all Latinx people do these things (laughs) right exactly (laughs) 
like anything else, it's something that's a work in progress. I will say that I see more of these values within the older folks mm -hmm. of our culture. Mm -hmm. And so I, I want to make sure people <laughs> know that as well. Right, right. Um, so with machismo, we have it's hard for them to open up about their emotions because they were so they were taught from such a young age that like men don't feel sad, men don't feel because that's weak or that makes them weak in some way. Um, and unfortunately, alcohol binging is also uh, normalized within our culture. And machismo also says that it's men's responsibility to take care of the family and therefore not believing that like appointments, like seeing a dietitian or a therapist may be the priority. And um, it, it may also, it, when it comes to food, it may also sound like I used to hear a lot of, uh, and I still do hear a lot of men that say like real men eat us, whatever, fill in the blank, right? Eat meat, are not vegans, are whatever, all those things. And so, um, yeah, so many different moving pieces, both with the food aspect of things and body image, but also um, when it comes to gender and sexuality like homophobia is very much runs very rampant so i'm thinking about how layered that looks like within both really because it's not just one or the other one it's so yeah I, i'm struggling to find the word that i'm looking for yeah no, that's all right i'm sure you'll find it in a little bit when it comes to mind it's better not to think about it because that's when it comes the best <laughs> yes 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 yeah right. how does uh-huh go ahead sorry what were you gonna say Oh, no, then we have like, like machismo, we have marianismo, yeah. which is uh, for these expectations that we have as women based on the Virgin Mary. Mm -hmm. So marianismo emphasizes the role as women, of women as family and home centered and encourages passivity, self-sacrifice and purity. And so that may look like they like women believe that they're here to serve men in some shape or form right and so um this can look <laughs> this can look different ways for women it may mean a specific uh, the belief that uh, our bodies are meant to be here to please the male gaze <laughs> like, um, and not just the gaze but pleasure altogether as well it may look like um, mom being the last one to eat and maybe eat whatever's left over, right? Uh, if there's not enough, she will make sure that everybody else is fed and then she'll figure it out for herself. Um, it may mean that I, I, I mean, I saw this in a couple of cases where therapy wise, if the husband didn't really support their decision to go to therapy, they wouldn't continue going to therapy. And then therefore they would continue struggling with whatever it was that they were struggling with. Um, and so and the other thing that you see as well is like, just like I said earlier, so many women spend so much time taking care of other people around them. It's very self-sacrificial again. And what does that mean for their mental health? What does that mean when they're trying to take care of their bodies as well? Yeah, I, again, I think about how machismo and marianismo play off on each other. They're the yin and yang that make each other up. Mm -hmm. And again, this is the way you were talking about a little while ago. This is how these cultural values are interchanged or are interdependent of each other 
they're connected this way. And so the greater the one, the greater the other in that regard too. And so again, it goes back to these boundaries as well. Mm -hmm. So how, you know, it's so funny because it's boundaries, like you said a little while ago, is such a difficult word to explain in Spanish. We Yes, absolutely. And and the way the more I do this work, the more I come back to the word flexibility. Mm -hmm. If I told my client that's coming to see me and I told them, you should just stand up for yourself and tell your parent or partner, absolutely not. I'm doing what chances are. They're probably just going to nod their way through the appointment, possibly not come back. My goal is, first of all, ask you, what is it that you feel like you need? What is it that you want to, to do in this instance? Let's talk about how do you feel like this is affecting you, right? Because if they're talking about it, it, it clearly is affecting them in some way, right? So I want them to be the ones that share with me, how, how, how is this affecting you? What do you think would be helpful? And I try to meet with them somewhere in the middle. Of like, it doesn't have to be black or white. It doesn't have to be a no. What would it look like for it to be a, I'll do it later <laughs> type of thing? <laughs> right. What would it look like for me to say, yes, let me eat this really quick and I'll get back with you and help you with that, right? Um, it doesn't have to be a yes or no. It can be somewhere in that middle where they feel more comfortable, right? My ideal may look as like the younger generation. I don't even know what to call myself. I'm not the younger generation anymore. <laughs> uh, oh, come on. You're not. I'm thinking you're... about my older clients, right? Like, yeah. how can I make sure that I'm putting into perspective uh, where I am in life versus that person. How can I, I talk about this so often and always, always start my presentations with this. It's my privilege, right? Yeah. How can I acknowledge my own privilege and the, the ways in which I present myself in therapy and the potential, we don't give advice, but okay, advice, encouragement, whatever we want to call it, um, that it's not based on what my own biases are versus what my client actually needs. Yeah, that's a really good part. You know, it's so funny when you say that, I was thinking about how much easier it is to describe and explain flexibility in Spanish than it is to explain uh, boundaries. You know, it's a lot easier to say flexibilidad. You can Mm -hmm. talk about how it's important to go with the flow, but it's Mm -hmm. so much more difficult. I don't even think that we have a word for boundaries in Spanish. I had to look it up. I had to look it up. So some people say limites. Yeah. That sounds about right, but it's not quite the same thing. Right? No, it's not. It's not the same. Mm-mm. That's kind of like reaching a limit versus mm-hmm. having a boundary. And the yes. literal translation of boundary in Spanish is frontera, but Yes. I mean, the word <laughs> The there front is. line. I was like, "Wait, the border? What?" <laughs> I know exactly. In so many other things like that, right? With eating disorders, I mean, we have so much stigma around mental health altogether. When we think about disordered eating or eating disorders altogether, it's even worse. Mm-hmm. It's definitely not something that we're talking about. So I learned about the term. <laughs> I had no idea how to say binge eating in Spanish, and I looked it up, and I still couldn't. Like, I could not. I still I, I still can't connect with that word. And and I don't know what that means. I think that one, it speaks about language and the ways in which um, a language is developed around these things with the research and everything. And then we come to translate it and we can't really connect with it. Talk about personalismo, right? The ways in which we connect with um, others and other things around us as well. So personalismo, I mean, 
uh, binge eating in Spanish is atrancones, I still can't. Oh, that doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> Absolutely not, right? Yeah. Um, and so think about that. And we know what it means from like a professional clinical level, mm -hmm. but then our clients come in. What does it look like for me to be explaining to them what's going on? Um, they become disconnected immediately too. Yeah, it's the same thing with intuitive eating. I had this uh, discussion with Dalino Soto and with Carolina Gisar as well about how it's a very difficult thing to translate intuitive eating into Spanish. I mean, there's yes. so many ways of looking at it. You can't do the, it doesn't do it justice to give it the literal translation like uh, uh, alimentación intuitivo. It's, it's like, oh boy, that's so stumble and awkward to say. And it's like, um, and, and I think it has, uh, that's why I'd lo I loved for you to talk about the cultural values because that, that interplay interplays so much with why it's so difficult to explain this. All right, let's go to the last one, which is, and by the way, why did you call this fatalism in, instead of fatalismo? Fatalismo. That's a really good question. I have no idea. <laughs> I'm like, everything else. Question. They're all in Spanish. Yeah. That one. I don't know. That was not intentional. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> so, fatalismo is the belief that like things are out of our control or that fate cannot be changed. So, in within our culture, I need to make a presentation on all just like sayings because we have so many sayings in Spanish, <laughs> yeah. which I think it speaks to the beauty of language in, in Spanish, right? And so it, a lot of people think about it as like, si Dios quiere, or if God wills it. Yeah. Uh, so we very much feel like that distance between what's happening and what's meant to happen or the decisions that we that we make, right? Um, that if things are meant to be, then they're meant to be. And so fatalismo, again, feel it's the belief that things are out of our control. Which goes along with the rigidity, right? If yes. if they're out of our control, then we have to stay to the straight and narrow, or we have to do things this way because, well, you know, it's like you said, it's in God's hands. I I would love, my father would, would say that all the time. Yo me pongo la vida en las manos de Dios. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> That means that I'm going to put my life in God's hands, right? Yes. And I would always say to dad, yeah, but dad, God also gave you a brain. <laughs> yes, exactly. And no. it's like this learn, almost like learned helplessness or or we fall into what's known the self-fulfilling prophecy of mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. we believe things are going to happen. So therefore, let me not do anything about it. Or are we engaging behaviors because of that belief? And then therefore, that's the thing that leads for it to actually happen. And then in that moment, we're like, see, it was meant to happen, right? Yeah, to me, to me, this is what uh, fatalismo also is when a person has a disease or an illness. Yes. And the problem with that is, is that that person immediately becomes out of the collective. They are now el enfermo. Oh, yeah. They have that. And there's a stigma around that. Ella es la gordita. Ella es, él es el flaco. Eh, eh, the, they are the, she's the chubby one. He's the skinny one. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's, think about extremes. Sometimes I like to think about, um, we're quite a dramatic culture, I would say. And I mean that like not in a bad way. I think we really are. I think that we feel very intensely and that means that bad things are happening. We take it to an extreme. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I know. I, I just recently had a discussion with someone that I thought was just me being passionate. And he said to me, well, you don't, you don't need to yell at me. Huh. <laughs> yelling? What are you talking about? I'm not yelling. Yes, we're very passionate. We very feel so much. And for the longest time, for the longest time, I, I used to see that about myself in such a bad way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now I get to embrace it. Yet another thing that through acculturation, right, like assimilation, I would say, I thought that it was something that I had to give up about myself. And in reality, yeah. it's such an important part of who we are as yeah. a culture. We are very loud. I yes. Say. <laughs> yeah. That's why I notice myself like even you can see me, but I can kind of I'm taking a step back because when I get very excited, my voice gets very loud. Yet another thing that shows up in the doctor's office, right? How do we we're very passionate, we get very excited about things. And with fatalismo, we see the other side of what that looks like as well. Yeah, it, it's so interesting because I'll have consults with my Latino clients. And it's so interesting because they're in a room and there's five other people and oh hold on a second bye, bye, bye. and they're screaming and okay so what were we talking about it's like holy yeah. cow <laughs> it's yeah. like every time they speak like that I think to myself oh I'm, I'm I feel like I'm back home <laughs> another example of personalismo yep exactly How we get so personal with things so I, yeah. I joke with Carolina uh, Carolina Guizar the other person yeah. here where um, we have this course called uh, Intuitive Eating and Body Image Healing for Latinx People. And uh, (laughs) we worked on it for a whole year. But the thing is, like, every time we had a meeting, we would spend a whole hour just talking about completely unrelated (laughs) stuff. And we would uh, chismes and everything. It's just like, uh, <laughs> that's part of who we are, you know? And, and I think that's what I love about it. And 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 I want more people to see it. it I want more people to see that. It, you know, when I was younger, I used to struggle so much um, with that whole sense of not belonging. And therefore, I thought that meant that I was supposed to just stay quiet and not speak up and not talk about the things that were so important to me. And these are the things that bring me so much joy. And mm. I feel so sad that I spent so many, so much time back then, like quieting down, trying to assimilate to other people around me, trying to fit in. And that meant losing so much of myself. Um, and I feel sad for that younger part of myself because I can't imagine um, what would have been, what would it have been for that younger me to experience the joy of being us, really. Yeah, I, I mean, I totally understand. We, my wife and I, recently went to a wedding in the sticks in Tennessee. I call it mm-hmm. because we were an hour and a half northwest of Nashville. And I mean, there was nothing there. I mean, there's literally nothing there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, and here I am. And I told my wife, well, what do you think I should wear for the wedding? And she goes, oh, you should totally put on your guayabera. And I was oh, like, oh, that's, yes. right. that's a good idea. You know, <laughs> and I was like, and it, and it felt so good because I was so me there, you mm-hmm. know, in the sea of people with suits and dressing up a certain way and and I got so many compliments. It was so nice. It felt so good. And I also had my little hat. Oh yes. man, I, it just felt so good, you know. <laughs> and the guy, the guy sitting next to me turns to me because it was a, a wedding outdoors and it was at three o'clock in the afternoon and the sun was beating down hot. And he turns to me and he goes, T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> 
(laughs) Smart move. Well, not t-shirt, but short sleeve. I said, I said, I know. And then he turns around a few minutes later and he goes, by the way, the hat, second smart move. (laughs) I'm like, tell me about it. I love it. I love it. And that's the thing, right? This is all connected to our own body image stuff. It's all connected to the ways in which we show up and honor our body's needs. If we think about it to the ways in which we connect to our bodies in fun ways. I think that a lot of times we minimize what that looks like through clothing as well. And um, I'm so, I mean, that makes me so much joy. So actually it's so funny because it makes me think about when I got interviewed at the end of last year, so I'm going back to school to complete my doctorate in the fall. Oh, and okay. um, I did my interview, of course, it was all online. And, you know, it, it was, I was in, I'm in such a different place, David, than I was years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, back then, when I went through those first t- interviews to go into college, I mean, talk about the ways in which we show up, right? Yeah, and the right. Was strict. And restriction, we talk about it in the sense of food, but there's so many different ways in which we restrict in life, including the ways in which, just like you said, we show up to places. Mm -hmm. And I uh, got into such a, Uh we get into such, I got into such a like fuck it attitude Uh this time around because Uh the last times I would show up in my suit, my black suits and my high heels, which I hate (laughs) high heels, by the way. Uh, but it was all in hiding my tattoos because I have tattoos and I would color my hair dark. I did all those things for previous uh, interviews. And this time around for this one, I was just like, no, absolutely not. I wore my big, I, I love earrings and I wore my big guacamaya earrings. And, so uh, yeah. and it's like this huge, I don't know how to say guacamaya in English. It's like this colorful bird um, that's native to South America. right? Yeah. And so it's huge earrings and my yellow, like a mustard yellow type of sweater. And to see myself through that screen, because it was all through Zoom, of course, it brought me so much joy because I was showing up as me. I wasn't showing up as like, how would this, like, what would they want to see? That's a that's a really good point. And I think it's so important that you're saying that. And I don't know if you do this with your intuitive eating and body trust course that you have with Carolina, but I couldn't help but think about, all right, well, you know, that's great. That's fine and dandy, um, mm-hmm. you know, but we look and privileged to be in a thinner body. And how do we then say that to people of heavier weight? Well, David, you don't have the weight that, that I have. And so much of the work that I do with clients is to get them to understand that they're so beautiful the way they are, that it's not so much that certain clothes don't fit you right. It's just that society hasn't made clothes that are designed for you, for, for, for one thing. And a lot of the work that I'm doing with clients is getting them to show their beauty because mm-hmm. that's what's going to come out. It's I, I think of Sonia Renee Taylor or I think of mm-hmm. um, people who are in a heavy body and they come out and boy, you could just feel their presence and you want to just like, hey, I want to talk to you. I want to. You're so brilliant. You're so smart. It's like you're not really thinking of how big they are uh, mm-hmm. unless, of course, you're worried about what people think of you. Right. And then that starts that downward spiral. And so, you know, talking about earrings or a shirt that you're wearing or a certain hat, or, you know, that's way of expressing 
that person inside of you that uh, uh, is so difficult. What are what are other techniques? Since you brought up the course that you and Carolina have, what other techniques do you guys use for intuitive eating and body image with Latinx communities? So with um, we work, we both work through an intuitive eating and health at every size lens, and we both recognize that even though we absolutely love what they represent. We also recognized that it was missing. It was, it was missing that cultural piece. And and I will say that this can be a different experience, whether you're Latinx or where you are from Latin America, really, to other for other folks as well. So if you're black, or I would even say being Afro Latinx or Black Latinx adds a whole other layer to it. Are you indigenous? Are you um, another person of color? everybody's experience is so different. So for us as Latinas, we felt like they were missing that cultural piece. So that's where the course came from. Carolina actually was the one that reached out to me through Instagram. She was like, hey, you want to do a course together? And I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then the friendship grew out of that. Fantastic. Uh, and so we talk about this. We talk about the ways in which uh, our relationship with food and our bodies can look different from uh, within our cultures because of our cultural values. We talk about ways in which we can, one, have an understanding of where that comes from, like these beliefs that we have about ourselves, specifically these very rigid and a negative self-views or not negative self-views, because I struggle using positive or negative, but these very shaming um, and guilt-driven type of views of ourselves or self, like self-critic if we think about it, that that's not something that we're born with, but it's helpful. First, it's helpful to have an understanding of where all those layers come from. Um, so there's a lot of learning, really. There's a lot of sitting with like, here's this information. How does that apply to you? Because we want to we're very aware that even our experiences as light-skinned Latinas can be, look very different um in smaller sized bodies as well um but we take into consideration layers such as like are you a parent um are you a person that has experienced uh, poverty and what does your relationship with food look like because of poverty and possibly food insecurity right that's definitely something that we talk a lot about i talk about trauma in the course as well and the ways in which because of trauma really if we think about it um we disconnect with our bodies because of trauma and what, how does that have an impact with the relationship we have with it, as well as the ways in which we're able to meet basic needs. And so we felt like the things that we were learning out there about intuitive eating and health at every size, were not necessarily covering the Latinx perspective when it came to these social justice issues as well. That's brilliant. Talk a little bit more about the course. Mm -hmm. What is it? How long is it? Who goes in it? How, how is it made up? What's the composition? What do people get? So we actually, and I'm having to look it up right now because we did the first version and then we updated it and added like a bunch of other weeks. Oh yeah. Did. I mean, that's with any course. I think that it, it uh, to me, yeah. a course is something that evolves, of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's definitely evolved. The second time around, we did a lot of like extra videos and which is just Carolina and I talking about different things, different perspectives. Um, it's a 12 week long self-paced program, uh, or self-paced online course, really. Um, it's a bunch of videos. Think about like going back to class. And so we use like 
slides in which we we talk through all of these cultural values. And then we have the additional videos in which is us processing things together and talking about our own stories in some way, as well as our own opinions of things, as well as addressing all the other grayness um, of it all. And we go through the intuitive eating step. Um, principles? Principles. There you go. I was <laughs> the intuitive eating principles, but mainly we address it from that Latinx perspective. So we talk about our foods, like our cultural foods. We talk about the ways in which this may show up within our own family dynamics, because we have lots of dynamics going on. Um, we talk about it from a lens of like, okay, if you're a person, we, we're very aware. And, and we both experienced this growing up and, and our families did as well, that um, many Latinx folks experience poverty, um, and so we address things from that sense of like, okay, how does taking care of your body and your body's needs look like in the midst of that? Because we always talked about how intuitive eating is a great concept that in order for you to do intuitive eating, you need the food, right? And what happens when you can't really afford the food? What does that look like? Right? What happens when growing up and still till this day, our foods are seen as the bad foods, in many ways, right? Because that was part of my own journey, seeing my foods as the bad things and therefore rejecting them and restricting them. Mm -hmm. And so really um, drawing our attentions to know, like, here's how our foods are beautiful. Here are the ways in which they have helped us and protected us and, um, and helped our ancestors in so many different ways and how delicious they are. Okay. And, then, and and so I do a lot of like the mental health aspect of things, of course, and, and Carolina focuses on the nutritional aspect of mm. the conversations. And then again, those videos that I was talking about is us bringing both of those perspectives together. Mm -hmm. um, it, it probably feels like a lot, <laughs> to us, it felt like a lot of rambling, but really it's kind of us going through that spectrum of things. Of what does that look like and where things come from? So this 12-week self-paced online course, mm -hmm. is it a video tutorial webinar type uh, uh, each mm -hmm. session? Yeah. So each week has like a set of videos. Some of them are PowerPoint slides. Think about it like classroom type of right. thing. Okay. Um, some of the videos are both of us talking about something. Some of it are us individually oh. talking about specific things. So like, let's say a random video I did once was thinking about like parenting and what does your relationship with food look like after you become a parent, whether yeah. it be out of exhaustion or you're taking care of another human being yeah. or yeah. you trying to figure like your body is changing quite literally and therefore your hunger and fullness cues may change based on that as well. And so it'll be like kind of like small random videos like that. We talk yeah. about grief um, within the context of uh, our own body image and okay. letting go of that control, um, so many and, different things. Yeah, every week is something different. It's and where do you take where do you take the client? Is there sort of a culmination point where mm -hmm. or a graduation point? What happens when they get to the twelfth video or eleventh, twelfth video? So or, sorry, week. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's supposed to follow like the print intuitive eating principles okay so we always people can go back and forth but we always recommend them to start out from the first one uh because we were trying to just like the intuitive eating book trying to be intentional about we don't want you to get to the nutritional like um clinical type of stuff without going through like okay let's talk about 
body image stuff. Let's talk about where do these beliefs come mm. from? Let's talk about how do we challenge some of these things? How do we um, learn to speak to ourselves from a, through a more gentle <laughs> space? Mm. How do we practice neutrality when it comes to our bodies, that kind of stuff. So um, we were intentional with it, but we also wanted to give, allow people the flexibility to go back and forth between things. There's also like prompt, journal prompts in there. So mm. it's a pretty, it's a pretty um, intense program. I would say. Yeah. It sounds uh, intense and comprehensive around mm. intuitive eating and body uh, acceptance, body image. I think that uh, one of the things that I'm hearing is, is that you're really introducing them to that uh, intuitive eating and health at every size type of idea, that concept, especially in the Latin, Latinx community and how those things are so important in our community in specific areas. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm assuming that this is why we brought in these cultural values here. Yes. Talk about how all of those interplay with uh, all of uh, the intuitive eating principles as well. Mm-hmm. which I think is brilliant. I love that you guys are doing that or, or have that. So this is self-paced so people can find uh, your course online. Where where can they find it? Yeah, so they can find it like latinxhealthcollective.com. Mm-hmm. All right, and I'll make sure to put that in my show notes. Um, and uh, wow, okay. Do you mind telling people the price? Yeah, so we have three different sets of people. One of them, we call it Need Some Ajuda, which... <laughs> Need some some help. (laughs) Yes, 197. And then we have doing okay, which is 247. And then we have pay it forward, which is 297. And it sponsors another person to take the course. We also have sliding scales for folks that that need the help and want to take the course. What uh, what would be one takeaway that you would want to leave people with? Um, oh, you know, when you asked me, when you emailed me that question, there were two things that came to mind. Okay. And one of them was waiting. The amount of things that we wait to do. And ho- waiting for when we're thinner, when we're smaller, when we're more successful, when we're smarter, whatever it is that your thing may be, the waiting aspect of things. Um, I experienced such a hard lesson um, at the end of last year, because my dad died of because of COVID. And, oh, I'm uh, so sorry. And it was a smack in the face. It was a smack in the face of all the things that we wait wow. to do, both for him, like in going through all of his th- the things, his like personal items, and um, the amount of things that he waited to do until one day, right? Mm. And the amount of things that we wait until we're thinner, I don't know, whatever, again, whatever your thing may be. um, It was a reminder. It was a reminder that in many ways we're running out of time. Mm. And I wanna encourage people, don't wait to take that picture with that loved one. Mm, Don't wait to wear that outfit that you've been wanting to wear, but feel like it looked quite bright on you or whatever Mm. Uh, don't wait to eat that meal it's so good it's so yummy and it Mm. connects you to your people eat it don't Mm. wait Mm. don't wait Um, that's so good i'm so sorry to hear about your father thank you thank you it's it's been it was really bad it was really hard and um that was one of the things that came to mind when i read that question and then the other one was um I really want to encourage people to be curious. Like mm. in, 
be curious about what would happen if you spoke to yourself in a more gentle voice. Because what I find is that when people reach out to me for therapy, by that point, they're exhausted, one. <laughs> uh, they're exhausted and, and struggling the ways in, in the ways that they've been struggling. But they've also, by that point, become their own worst bully. Right? Mm-hmm. They So much self-shame, so much self-criticism. And it's amazing to see what happens when we get, a, we hear a more gentle voice mm. making statements like, well, it makes no sense why you've been struggling. That must have been really hard. That must have been really scary. That must have been very isolating. You must have felt so lonely. Mm-hmm. When we engage that more curious, more gentle part of ourselves, there's so much that there's so much space. There's space for more. I love that you're using these two. I mean, I think that they are really one, quite honestly. I mean, because if you're allowing yourself to be curious, then you don't have to wait. You know, I mean, that's the idea. I talk about this in the book that I've written that I still haven't published yet. But anyway, (laughs) that's one of my four C's is curiosity. Mm -hmm. Curiosity is so important because it allows us to play. It allows us to explore. It allows us to learn. It allows us to move forward. Curiosity Mm -hmm. is so important. And curiosity is both an emotional as well as a physical thing that we do. You know, it gives us that moment of wondering, oh, well, okay, let me then explore. Let me experiment with this. So I love that you're saying that because you're right. And in that regard, you then don't end up waiting, which is, I love that you put that in there because you're right. You you never know when you're going to get an opportunity to give that person a hug again. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we hold back. We hold back so much. We do. We do so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lisa, this was fantastic. Thank you so much for your wisdom. But oh, wait, wait, wait. I got one more question to ask you. And I love yes. this question that I ask my cl- my guests. Uh, all right. So let's play make believe. If you were stranded on a desert island and this was your last meal and it could be made however you wanted, whatever it was, what would it be? Oh, my gosh. The first thing that came to mind was a mojarra frita. Oh, wow. Oh, Please tell people what thing. that is because that's fantastic. I have no idea what the kind of fish is. I don't know. I think that's like, I, that's what I want to learn how to cook, but no one can cook it as best as my uncle Guille does. So, because he's from like Cartagena. So he's like, he knows, he knows <laughs> how to cook it. And he holds lots of pride because of it. So the first thing that came to mind, especially because you said if I was stranded somewhere. In the- <laughs> you thought of uh, Cartagena? It's fish. It's like a whole fried fish and you eat it with like patacones, which is. Um, well, we call them patacones. We call that's true because some other people tostones, tostones right i know there's another one fried plantains in other words yes it's fried green plantains green plantains a right. bit of salt yeah. uh that's the thing that's what i would, would eat oh my yeah. god you're the first person i knew you were gonna say something colombian and i thought to myself Tell me, I the you know the thought that I had was I, I doubt she's gonna say about Neha Paisa because that's oh my gosh so I difficult. thought about it I thought about it though that's yeah. a runner up that would be a runner up. I mean we could have a whole I think we could have a I whole know. podcast just on Colombian a food. Colombian food <laughs> that we experience because of it oh there's so many things I mean talk I about like I know 
rejecting my culture if there's something that i regret doing oh i mean it's just like when i yeah it's like when i get my colombian clients and they tell me oh no no me puedo comer arepa and i'm like oh my gosh oh, they, they say i can't eat my arepas i know i'm like oh no we're gonna eat arepas guys let me tell you this is gonna happen <laughs> yes absolutely yes. uh oh gosh yes yeah. frita. google it, it okay. it's so good it's so uh, delicious and, and I'll have a link to that on my website. Yes, well. yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love taking pictures of food and I upload it into my Instagram. And usually, and people are very curious as to what it is. Yeah. Uh, but in Colombia, well, I would say just in Central and South America altogether, yeah. we eat like such a diversity of food. No, we do. Um, oh, God. I love, love, love that. I would say that that's my favorite part. One of my favorite parts of connecting with clients and doing this work is being mm-hmm. able we connect with that part of uh, the, mm-hmm. the food aspect of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, culture, yeah. Oh. All right, Melissa, tell everybody where they can find you. Uh, where can people find me? I'm on Instagram. I yeah. show up as the Spanglish therapist, or you can find me <laughs> as Cardmona. Uh, where else am I? You can go to the website, Latinx Health Collective, to learn more about me and learn more about Carolina. And I am also, again, I'm a therapist in Greensboro, North Carolina. So you could find me at threebirdscounseling.com. Perfect. And again, I'll put those links in the show notes as well. Melissa, thank you so much. Mil gracias. This was fantastic. And uh, I really appreciate you for being on. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. All right. I just love my Colombian connection here. Melissa, fantastic. Thank you so much for all the great wisdom that you provide and all the work you and Carolina are doing. Just fantastic for the Latinx community. All right. Pivoting here, folks. Remember, next week, we've got our 100th episode. Can you believe it? We're going to have highlights of the last past 95 episodes. Well, not all of them, but many of them. And I'm going to bring to you Highlights about our rebranding. We're moving away from TD Wellness to Diety, to Weight Centric. So we're going to head over to a new brand. So stay tuned for all of that information and what we have in store for the, the, the rest of the year. So I'm excited to have you all listening. Remember, if you haven't already, hit subscribe to the shows so you can get the show downloaded to your device automatically. All right, folks, remember, chop that diet mentality fuel your body, and nourish your soul. Until next time, ciao.